Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. So nothing in this world, absolutely nothing, happens without some kind of revelation. Like there is no invention, no cause taken up, no idea clung to, no movement of the stubborn human will without the inspired revelatory moment that we call a vision. Vision is what sparks awe and wonder into human hearts. Vision is what motivates us to act and to create and to change the world around us. Vision is what every single hope for a better future hinges on. So I belong to the generation that is called millennials, but I'm like on the oldest cusp of that generation, which means that I had a lot more of an analog upbringing than half of my generation. Computers were not like a necessary component of my schooling. Like, we had some computers around our school and we utilized them from time to time. But it wasn't until my final years of high school that writing papers using a word processor was even allowed, let alone required. In the early 90s, our classrooms did mostly have like one to two computers in them, and all of them were useless except for running one program called the Oregon Trail, where I learned about dysentery and that I need to chalk the wheels on my wagon before crossing the river, all right? But these computers that were in every single classroom were made by a company called Apple, and they took on the very, very revolutionary and visionary name, the Apple II. Extraordinarily exciting, right? Now, I should mention that although my educational upbringing did not sink or swim based on uh, personal computers, I had computers in my house from a, a very early age. My, my dad was like kind of that first wave of computer programmers once computers became a public commodity outside of the government. And so when I was very young, we had computers. We didn't use them much, but we had them. We built them together. And my dad, as a computer programmer, instilled one truth in me about computers. One thing that I would never forget. Apple computers are worthless. Which is funny now. But Apple was, at one time in the 70s and the 80s, the people who had a vision to put computers into people's homes. And they were pretty good at it when Apple computers were the only option if you wanted a computer in your home. But once IBM and other companies, along with the operating system supplied by Microsoft, became available for people to purchase, Apple began to fade into the background. 
See, Apple's largest problem was that although their vision was grand, their means of implementing it just didn't seem to exist. They said, we want to put a computer in everyone's house. Cool. But why? For what purpose? How will we do it? This lack of clarity would be their downfall because it drove business practices that nearly sank the company for good. Because everything that an Apple computer needed to function, including the software and programs that ran on it, only worked with products that Apple created. They refused to work with outside enterprises to bring affordable and attractive products to people. They refused to cooperate with the world around them in order to embrace the needs of everyday human beings. And once Apple wasn't the only choice for bringing a computer into your home, they sank like a rock. Apple's stock dropped 80% from 1992 to 1997, and the company was nearly bankrupt. Something needed to change. And as you know, something did change drastically. A man named Steve Jobs retook the reins as CEO and overhauled the entire company. He had a new vision, which was to make extremely cool products that are simple to use, easy to understand, and made with great aesthetics. And while this seems kind of silly and superficial on the outside, the greatest complaint about computers and technology in general in the late 90s and early 2000s and even the 2020s is that computers and technology in general are not user-friendly. With that vision, Jobs simplified the product lineup and encouraged the company to focus on innovating for the future. That future included collaboration with other companies and their software programs and even hardware so that Apple computers could give real people what they actually wanted and needed. And the board of directors told him he was crazy. But he persisted, and Apple created the iPod, a device that made the universe of music truly portable. And from then, they took the leap and created the revolutionary iPhone. And now half of us not only have an Apple computer in our house, but have an Apple computer in our pocket. Next came the iPad. Now we have computers the size of a small stack of paper, a computer that I use to preach to you every Sunday. Apple now has a new vision to make the best products on earth and to leave the world better than we found it. Simple, powerful, hope-filled. But thousands of years before the world was beginning to be shaped by the power of personal computers, another set of humans sought to understand their world. Three magi, wise men, early Eastern scientists who studied the stars and their link to world events were given a new vision, a revelation from God. A star had risen. There was a new king in Israel. The Magi were not Jewish folks, but they had studied enough of the Jewish scriptures to recognize that something new happened in Bethlehem. And so they went in search of this new king. 
But when they met with the current king, it became clear to them through another revelation that this man meant to harm the newborn Christ child. The wise men, as they've been named, became a model, it would seem, for the new way that God would act in human history. Divine revelation would come to people who you would be least likely to expect. And then about 30 years later, after Jesus' life and death, divine revelation came to another man, a man who no one would expect. This time to a devout Jew named Saul of Tarsus who dedicated his life to eradicating the world of the vile stain of Christianity. On his way to persecute the early church in Damascus, he was struck with a vision from Christ himself and given a new mission in life. He would bring the message of salvation through faith in Christ to the whole world, particularly to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And he was the best that there ever was at that mission. One of his churches, a place in a city called Ephesus, was a shining example of Paul's work. And he wrote to them a letter in which he commends them for their unity. He tells them that when he found them, he proclaimed the gospel to them without discrimination. And the result was that people of many different backgrounds came together and formed a community based on one commonality, the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then he says these words to them. This is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. He says, This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you, and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which I will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. You see, in former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, the wisdom of God and its rich variety might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. Paul understood his assignment to bring the message in the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people. And that allowed him to teach it 
and to recognize its effectiveness. God's vision to Paul. Bring the news of and the invitation of the kingdom of God to the Gentiles, to all people. Not just to Jews, not just to Greeks and Romans who look like they might want to hear it, not to people who come asking you about it, to all people. This was the original mission and vision of the church. Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All nations, all people. Now listen, in the Western world, the church was once very, very influential. I would say it still is. But at one time, it was automatic in a lot of ways. Now remember that Christianity did not start as a Western religion. Christianity began as a sect within an Eastern religion, within Judaism. But eventually, Christianity became the state religion of Rome, and the influence of Rome was vast and ever-expanding. So the church's vision got really, really easily caught up in Rome's vision, which was to make everyone in the entire world a subject of Rome. But long after the collapse of the Roman Empire, the church persisted with a simple vision, bring Christianity into every home in the world. And along with that came a lot of questionable and even really bad tactics, probably that they learned from Rome. But also along with that came some very, very good things, like fair governing practices and hospitals and orphanages and social services that helped people. And then eventually the printing press was invented and it became the vision of the church to put Bibles in every home. And that was really the extent of the vision needed. It worked. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, it just worked. Until it stopped working. Until new and competing ideas became prevalent. And what we are seeing now is that the old vision just can't compete on its own with everything else that the world is offering. Just put Jesus in every home is wonderful, but we've got to have more strategy than that. So over the summer and into the early fall, a team of people here at First Church developed a new strategic plan for us. We crafted a new mission, vision, and value statement that will drive us to actually fulfill the age-old vision of putting Jesus into every home and to every heart. So our new mission is simple. Flooding the treasure coast with the transformational love of Jesus. This means that what we do is we indiscriminately, think of how a flood works, indiscriminately spread the love of Jesus through loving acts of mercy and justice to the world inside and outside of the church. 
And the way that we do that is by embracing these five values that we have identified as who we are. People of passionate worship, faithful development, extravagant generosity, missional outreach, and unwavering inclusivity. We'll talk more about each of these over the next five weeks. And that is all to accomplish our new vision. This is how we accomplish a mission of flooding the treasure coast with the transformational love of Jesus. Our vision is this. We will create, equip, and mobilize 610 disciples by the year 2030 so that heaven and earth collide on the treasure coast. That's six years to do something enormous. 610 disciples. Look around. There's not 610 people here right now. Why 610? I'm glad you asked. Well, because Matthew 6.10 says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our vision. Heaven and earth colliding. God's will being done in Fort Pierce and beyond. And I want us to be so good at being the church that people from the top of Indian River County to the bottom of Martin County know about Fort Pierce as being the center of a world-changing revival. That here, in the heart of the Treasure Coast, the place once famous for being the cocaine capital of Florida, God is doing something new. That we are the epicenter of a new vision of Christianity in these parts. Apple's vision, which in turn sparked a technological revolution that changed every single person's relationship to technology, had three key components that I think speak into how we are going to do this. Simple to use, easy to understand, aesthetically pleasing. That's what we are trying to do. We are trying to make the Bible, the Christian faith, and the life of discipleship simple to use and easy to understand so that anyone, literally anyone, can learn more, encounter a life-changing relationship with Jesus, and grow closer to God. And when we say aesthetically pleasing, I mean most importantly that the fruit of our labor our discipleship, our love is something that people look at and say, wow, just wow. I have never seen anything so beautiful in my life. This is a vision. This is an impossible task without God. And impossible tasks don't mean that we don't do them. Impossible tasks mean that we pour our effort into the natural work that we can do. And then we wait in hopeful expectation for the supernatural work that we know that God will do. 610 disciples. Say it with me. We will create, equip, and mobilize 610 disciples by 2030 so that heaven and earth collide on the treasure coast. One more time. We will create, equip, and mobilize 610 disciples 
by 2030 so that heaven and earth collide on the treasure coast. Sounds wild, right? Are you interested? I'm interested. How are we going to do it? I don't know. Stay tuned. Let's find out together.